0: No, we are—we're actually rounding up, uh, sort of wrapping up our our series on Your Kingdom Come. We've been focusing on the kingdom of God and what does that mean as we as we gain greater perspective of that, the implications of of when Christ said the kingdom of God is at hand. It is—it has come here, and for Him to introduce Himself as the King of that kingdom, bringing forth its power, talking about the people talking about the place, but really ultimately helping us to understand that when when we have been invited into that and God has provided the way through the Son, through Jesus, that we now live in a very different way. It means that we can confidently walk by faith and trust that God has us because he is ruling over all. And so we we look at that today and we're going to, uh, you'll notice we've kind of covered these These points within the the series, we've talked about the king's power. We've talked about the king's place. Thank you, dear. Uh, Kind of casual that way. Uh, The king's power, the king's place, the king's people, king's presence. Last week, we talked about the king's precepts. That is, he, he gives us commands. He he teaches us and calls us to love the Lord our God, but also to love others as ourselves. And so walking in those those laws, those principles, as he guides us through his word is important. It helps to set us apart as his people, to make us distinct in this world, as we continue to bring his kingdom to bear in the way that we live, to exercise that reality. In fact, that was something we talked about. um, I didn't have this in my notes I meant to, but... We were talking about an article on prayer uh, at the men's meetup this last week. And, and it, was, it was great because there was a Richard Mouau, um quote at the, at the onset of it. And, and he talked about praying in public is oftentimes an expression of, of showing the reality of God's presence, his rule and his presence with us. This this idea that we are we are helping people gain perspective and interpret we are helping to interpret things in a way and in a very tangible physical way we are doing that when we bow our heads in a public restaurant and we pray together it says that we recognize we live we eat we go out and about and God is here with us still we live and move within His presence we are kingdom citizens and we live and His kingdom is so much bigger than just our own little personal kingdoms, even our world, even our countries. God is much bigger than that, and so is his rule. So so when we talk about now the last thing, kingdom proclamation, what does it mean to proclaim the kingdom of God? How does all of this that we have gone over start moving us into a mode of proclamation? And so I want to talk today about the king's signposts. Kingdom, Thanksgiving, and Proclamation. We're going to look at a couple of of texts here. But first, we know we drive, we we move and interact, and and we see signs everywhere. This is probably one that's familiar for most people. took me a while, just so you know, to to, to find this. I was tempted to actually go out and drive and take a picture of some signs. um, But you recognize this, right? But these signs on the road tell us where we're going, don't they? They point us to a destination. Signs in general point us to something that is an object of reality. A stop sign, for instance, tells us that there is an objective moment and place that you are supposed to stop. Some of us try to reinterpret that into a yield sign, perhaps a roll-by. But one is supposed to stop The sign tells you what is there and what is supposed to happen. Do not enter. What is the speed limit? Again, many interpretations there. Um, Sammy Hagar, you know, he can't drive 55. Um, Tunnel. All of these things point to a reality for us. And so when we start understanding that we are called to be signposts for the kingdom, That we are to live in such a way that we we are pointing people to that objective reality. That should help us start understanding how we live and move every day in the ways that we go about talking with people and interacting, but also just how we have a hope and a a forward projection of what's, what's to come. We point to a destination But some signs can be confusing and misleading, such as this one. They're ineffective when they're inaccurate and contradictory. And unfortunately, we find ourselves, here's another example. But understanding that the world looks on and and they pick that up. It's why, in many ways, the church is in, in the condition that it is. People look and they hear us talk about unity and oneness and togetherness, and yet they see fragmentation upon fragmentation upon fragmentation. Disunity is what they see. There's a contradiction in the signposts. And so when we understand the kingdom brings us all into this one grand umbrella That God says, at some point, you're either in the kingdom or you're not. But when you're in the kingdom, you know. That moves you to proclaim that kingdom. It moves you in such a way that you call people to unity within that headship, under that Lord, under that king. And you're able to walk in a way that says, these things don't define me or bind me here because I am a kingdom citizen. I am a child of God. Praise him. So signs pointing to whom or what is what we're going to talk about. To be a kingdom signpost is to basically be a witness. It's what Christ commissioned us to be. You shall be my witnesses. Right? You shall be the signposts. In Acts 1, the disciples are saying, Hey, are you going to restore everything right now? And he says, quit worrying about that. It's up to the Father. You're to go be signposts. Go do that. And I'll be with you. Our first text that I want to look at, and it's going to kind of wrap back around, comes from 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. And keep in mind, Peter is writing to those who are facing some suffering and persecutions at this point. And a lot of it is because they're stirring up some of the cultural norms in the way that they live. They're some, sometimes even coming across a little, a little offensive because they won't participate in some of the cultural norms because it goes against their conscience and against what God would have them do. Because it mixes and meshes him up in things that he wants them to have nothing and he wants nothing to do with. And so... Not only is, is Peter writing to the church, but he's also writing to the Gentiles and encouraging them and saying, hey, by the way, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. The, the use of his language is, is not just simply to say, hey, this is a good thing you're chosen. This He's tying them, he's binding them together with the chosen people of the Old Testament, with Israel. He's saying, you're... You don't have to be Jewish to be a part of this. You don't have to have these curtains. Christ has fixed that problem. Opened up. The kingdom is now open. And guess what? You're a part of it. You've been chosen and brought into that. And you're a royal priesthood. That means you have access to me. You have access to the Father. You're a holy nation. That means that all those come together collectively as one body of people. And we are a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So he's already establishing where we belong if we are in Christ. We have been transferred and moved from a place of darkness. Even when we don't realize we're sitting in that darkness, we've been there. And he has transferred us into this place where it is marvelous and it is bright. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Praise God. We belong to Him. We belong to the King of heaven and earth. And He will keep, take care of us. And so now go be signposts. Go and proclaim the excellencies of Him. So be in a kingdom signpost. Three things I want to talk about here. Kingdom transformation kingdom dedication, and kingdom, kingdom proclamation. And that's what we're about to see. We see that in Peter's, uh, in Peter's text, but we're also going to see it in a story that many of you are probably familiar with in the Gospels. In Mark chapter 5, uh, we have an account where, where Jesus and the disciples come upon the shore, and, and they, they encounter a man from Gerasim. He's in the Decapolis region, and Gerasim is one of the the region, one of the little cities, if you would, that are part of this cluster of ten cities. It was sort of an alliance to sort of help with trade, and and it was an area that, that oftentimes had many Gentile people living there. And it says when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there he was met, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. And so it goes on and talks about this great herd of pigs that are off on the hills. And Jesus says, okay, I'll tell you what. I'm going to draw all these, you demons out, Legion, and I'm going to cast you into the pigs. And guess what? The pigs are going to go into the water. And that's exactly what happened. About 2,000 pigs run off the hills and they die, plunging themselves into the water. But listen to this. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus did not permit him. Instead said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And it says the man went away and began to proclaim. In the Decapolis... The whole region. Now just go home to your neighborhood. The Decapolis, this collection of ten little cities. Proclaiming in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So really quickly, it's kind of hard for us to picture this, right? We, we live in a, in a very techno world. And, and we have great, you know, CGI graphics on movies now. We've got ways of sort of fabricating and making these things happen. We've got really even some great costumes now within and, and, and things that people can do that are tricks. We've got TikTok videos that you're like, wow, that's uh, kind of weird. And things can be jazzed up and, and, and sort of doctored up in ways. But when we talk about an actual demon-possessed person, I don't know how many of you know missionaries that work in, in very remote tribal areas. We had a friend years ago uh, that worked with New Tribes Missions, and this was many, many moons ago. And he would come, and he would visit, and we'd hang out, and he'd talk. And I remember him telling us stories about very real encounters of people who were demon-possessed. Young children who could, could push off five men as they were struggling and, and having fits and, and, and talking in voices very real spiritual realities of this world that, that we sometimes forget because everything is so provable with our, ration, our rationalism and our scientific means and measures. But here we have an account of Jesus coming and, and showing us that this is a very real reality for someone to be oppressed by a legion, a legion of demons. That's about 4,000 to 6,000 in an army troop, a legion. Probably more than the number of the pigs. Maybe that's why the pigs needed to hightail it off the mountain. It was too much even for their little pigs' selves. But it's important to understand this because this is what happens when people are trapped and, and you listen to the condition of this man and he has been crying out, cutting himself. People have tried chaining him down. He breaks the chains. He's living in the tombs. When Jesus meets him, and he comes to Christ, he comes to the one who said, the kingdom of God is at hand, I am here, and the king has arrived. And what happens when the king comes is what's so amazing about the story. The transforming work of the king comes, and he changes this man. He transforms him and brings him out of darkness and death in the tombs, light and life to where people said it says the people saw him and he was in his right mind in his right mind and yet they were afraid of that now I've been accused of being out of my mind at times I'm sure it'd be a comfort if I came to my right mind for most people but the reality is is that Right mind should not be a fearful thing, but there were so many superstitions, there were so many cultural things in this environment that it, it scared people. Who could have this kind of power? We've tried everything we know to do. How can this possibly happen? This guy comes in and speaks to him, kills a bunch of our pigs, which was an economic thing, which is probably why they asked him to leave. But we're dealing with the reality of the kingdom come. We're not wrestling with just flesh and blood, right? But the spiritual realms and principalities, they're very real. And I think it's important for us to understand that. Man was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and he tells him to go. He wants so badly to be with him. So looking at the old contrasted with the new, as I said, when the kingdom comes, it is a transition It is exactly what Peter's talking about. It is a movement from darkness to light. And it might not happen like everything's perfect and and glorious right away, but there is motion and movement to come out of the dark. It's like Plato's cave analogy. How many of you are familiar with Plato and the philosopher? Okay, I taught philosophy with my students for years, and I really dug Plato. Um, But the cave analogy of, of coming out and seeing the reality of things is what Plato was talking about you come out of the cave and the light is so bright that it hurts your eyes, but then once your eyes start to adjust and you start to actually see things for the reality that it is, not the shadows you've been living in, there's suddenly this, this desire to go tell others that are chained up down there. But according to his analogy, the one who is set free comes back down and they end up killing him because they don't want to hear it. It's frightening to think about what we might see if the light comes in. It's frightening to think about if we have to look at the light and see what it shows us. But that's when the kingdom comes. so We're able to embrace that light. That light is a beautiful thing. And then we just can't keep it to ourselves. We want to proclaim the excellencies of him who has set us free, who has transferred us from the dominion of darkness into the dominion of light. So being a kingdom signpost. You're a chosen race. Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. You are not a people. Imagine. We have a lot of ways that we identify ourselves with people. We have political tribes, we have family tribes, we have all kinds of ways that we identify ourselves as people, as a people. We have ethnicities and race and all kinds of things. But he's saying, You were not a people. You thought you were. You were not a people. But now you're God's people. To be able to bear the mark of God, belonging to Him, to say that and to know that, and to just allow that to set in, even in those moments when, even as Joel was talking about in confession, when we fail, when we know we are falling short so regularly and often. And yet we belong to the king. He has chosen us for no good reason but his own love and mercy and grace. And isn't that the word that you hear that Jesus says and that Peter even says here? You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Jesus said, go and proclaim to everybody you know the mercy that God has shown you. So what happens? What happens to the Gerasene to the demoniac? He is, he is transformed in a way, finally released from this oppressive force of thing that he could not even put his hands on because he was too busy fighting his own self. And so what happens? He's filled with devotion, gratitude. Kingdom transformation should move us into thankfulness. It should move us to want to be devoted to the one who came and transformed us to that king. It's like a, to, to be a signpost for the one who's transformed us, for, for King Jesus. It's, it's to declare truthfully about what we've seen, heard, personally experienced. It's not only telling that truth, but living it. It's kind of a life and lip principle I used to tell my students all the time. Like a witness in court, we're called to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We're not to dress it up. We're not to overminimize it. We're to say what has happened to us. We're to proclaim what is going on, even where we're at. We might still have a whole lot of work, and I know we all do, a whole lot of work that God is going to be doing on us. And that's Okay. We can proclaim that too. It's to give up our right to be a private person. Christ has shared so much of himself. When kingdom comes into our lives, it moves us to proclaim, I can't hold this in. I can't hold this to myself. This belongs to so many people out there, and I need to proclaim that. The good news of God's kingdom of Jesus is coming to transform or redeem One who is lost in darkness and is now walking in light. And that's the joy that we get to go and do. Moving on to being a kingdom signpost and dedication. Dedication to those things that we appreciate most. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I will sometimes share things that I love, like, you know, I'm dedicated to a good cinnamon roll, okay? If I can find... The good cinnamon roll, the best. We, we had, you know, I'm not talking even Cinnabon. Cinnabon's great. But there was like, we had this place called Cinnamonster in Texas. Yeah, you heard it right. There was also a place called Cinnaholic. Both of these places were just exactly what they sound like. Their, their glorious tear-drawing cinnamon rolls. And when I have these, I am so thankful that I get to have one that I can't help but go and proclaim out of gratitude to others, you've got to go to Cinemonster. and please go to keep them open. Fuddruckers. I love Fuddruckers. There's one left in this Missouri world, I understand. I love Fuddruckers. And when I go in there and I see them struggling with workers, and they're like, oh, they're having to close early, and I'm like, no, please... Please, let me go tell of the excellencies of Fuddruckers, because I am so thankful for that burger. Please keep them open. Please. Go to Fuddruckers, okay? Please do. An attitude of gratitude motivates us to tell others, doesn't it? There are all sorts of things we are devoted to because we are so grateful that we have it, that we can't help to tell others about it. That's the movement that happens when the kingdom comes. If the the kingdom has truly come, if God has answered that prayer in your life, you start welling up with the gratitude. That attitude comes out of you, and you can't hold it in. You've got to say something about him. You've got to do something that reflects him, because it's in you. And so it's also just a matter of us being dedicated to the one who has given us that gift. But there's also something about the king's dedication to his people. I remind you, back when I talked about the king's presence, Matthew 28, when Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So even when we feel like we're losing grip, he never loses his grip on us, he's dedicated to his people. And he will get us to the destination. The very signposts and the things that we're pointing to, we will be there. Being a kingdom signpost does lead us to kingdom proclamation. Looking at 1 John chapter 1, he says this, That which was from the beginning, Jesus, the Son, which we have heard, which we have seen, With our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim. John is on a roll here, he's making his point. If you have seen it, if you have encountered him, if you know him, then proclaim him. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. We have that kind of fellowship with God the Father, God the Son. And we have that fellowship and that, that seal because of God, the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us and makes God's presence manifest in us and gives us the power to go and proclaim, to not mislead. I want y'all to meet a couple people here. It's kind of a dark picture, isn't it, up there? This is Vinay and Kiran. I've told you guys about Vinay. Um, Met him several months ago. He showed up at our doorstep, student from India, and uh, coming to to Webster University to do a graduate program. In my time of knowing Vinay and sort of befriending him and just kind of taking time to meet with him, uh, I've had other opportunities to meet Kieran. But even before I met Kieran, I also met uh, a couple of other people that were his brother's roommates. Both of these guys and all of these people are from India and they have immigrated in and many of them are trying to better their lives by going to school here and it's a very tricky thing for them especially as grad students it's very it's a very different thing and so we actually as a church blessed uh, Kieran and Vinay with a small uh, bit of help that we could do with their tuition recently and uh, and that was a huge gift that they have been very grateful for Uh, the last time they tried to show up unfortunately they missed they came in at the end of everything everybody was already leaving but that was because they had to borrow a car and they ended up running late but it's, it's been an interesting time though because I got to sit down with the roommates of his brother and, and his brother's roommate's girlfriend and I was just asked to come over to pick up something from Vinay, a little gift that he brought back from India when he needed to go home. And it turned into a two-hour sit and talk and they began to ask questions about Christianity, questions they've had that have perplexed them Things that they wondered and they shared about their Hindu faith as I asked them about theirs. And we talked about differences and similarities of, of certain things and, and maybe just misunderstandings of the way that words are used. And, and as we sat there and talked, they began to start sharing with me about the conditions in India and Christians in India. And they said, well, the thing about India right now is that, that Christians, because I asked and I said, you know, I have a friend that's there and they're talking about India's really trying to reinstate Hinduism as the official state religion again they're trying to push a lot of christians out right now and so it's been very oppressive very much persecution going on in various parts of india and they said well yes i think that some people are getting tired of how the christians are that that have lived there for for a long time there are rules for christians that for the christians special privileges and rights that they have there one of those is that they get free medical insurance they get a, a christian card basically that marks them out as Christians. They get free medical insurance, they get free tuition to the universities. And if they happen, if you have a Christian come up to enroll and apply at one of the colleges, a native Indian who may be Hindu gets bumped because the Christian gets pushed to the front of the line. And as they were telling me this, it was breaking my heart. And they said, but we're okay. I mean, we, we respect them, and, and they are nice. They, they try to do good things, and, uh, but they, they normally get a lot of, you know, they have free food also. They're telling me about the conditions that they are living in, their families are living in, based on the caste system of India, and I'm hearing this push to the front line for Christians, and they said, oh, but you know, we do love Mother Teresa. Do you know Mother Teresa? I said, I sure do. I sure do, and you know what? That's your signpost. That's your Christian signpost right there. You want to know why you love Mother Teresa so much? The same reason that Jesus, people love Jesus. Because Mother Teresa was pointing to him. Mother Teresa was actually living it out. Mother Teresa wasn't trying to advance herself over others there, push herself in front of the line. She actually tried to help do things to help bring some of them up. Out of the mire, they have no way of crawling out of. That is a signpost for the kingdom. That is a signpost for the work of God, for the work of Christ. And it opened up an opportunity for me to actually share about Jesus with them. I just, it was amazing. I did not see that happening, but it happened. And I was so thankful And I didn't have all the answers, even in that spot. But afterwards, they were like, we really would love to have you come back and bring your family, and we need to do dinner. It was an amazing time. All because we said hi to this young man, Bill and I. We welcomed him in at a time when he was having a crisis moment, and he had nowhere to turn, and the only thing he knew was to come to a church Because he had an uncle in India who was connected to the SDA. But he showed up on a Sunday. And he knew that the only person that could help him was God. That's all he knew. And so we have continued to march along with Binet. And encourage him along the way the best ways we can. But that's a faithful signpost, you guys. Mother Teresa. Out of all the footprint of Christians there in India right now. They hold on to Mother Teresa because of what she has done and how she has been a signpost faithfully. So to be a signpost is to be a witness, an honest, accurate witness. It means that we are telling people that we are not perfect. There is still yet a lot of work to be done on us, but the work has begun because the king has come. Oh, and by the way, he's coming again. He has promised to come again. And he will set everything right. It will be complete. And so will we. So as those who are signposts, maybe shot at by someone's BB gun along the way, maybe bumped into a few places, maybe dinged up by a bird that flew too low, we need to remember, though, that as signposts, We can can be like and, and, and resonate with what John Newton, the English Anglican cleric, slavery abolitionist, and hymn writer who wrote Amazing Grace once said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be, but I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. All praise to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come to you with thanks and praise. We thank you that as we have looked at your kingdom, Lord, we still have only but scratched the surface of what that reality is. Oh, but Lord, it is a reality. It is a matter of, of how you have drawn us towards yourself and called us into that kingdom and and made us kingdom citizens through your son Jesus. Lord, we know that by your spirit you continue to direct our hearts and not let us get comfortable with sin and and with just being complacent, but Lord, you you move us, you convict us, and you help us be strengthened to continue to stand even in the midst of persecution and struggle and, and moments of hopelessness. Lord, we can still stand find reason to say thank you, to to continue to, to renew our devotion with gratitude to you and to go and proclaim the excellencies of you, the one who has transferred us from the dominion of darkness into the dominion of light. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.